Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I am joined by Ashton Colmus. Ashton, how are you? Good. How are you, Corey? I'm doing Happy great. I'm doing great. We've we've done quite a bit of interaction uh, via social media, and we actually live about only 20 minutes away from each other. So we do. We uh, did figure that out, didn't we? Yes, fellow fellow Northwest Iowa connection here. And funny enough, I think you know this, but how I learned about you was through one of your workshops, which we'll probably talk about later. The things that you do. I got an email from a strength training workout workshop that you were going to put on to teach how to write workouts. Like, who is how to write? Yeah, wait, how to write? Who a is this person? There's, there's another person up here that does this stuff. That's awesome. So there's another, another, another one of our kind here. Exactly. So Ashton, for the listener, give us your background, your professional history, and your education. Well, I graduated in 2012. Is kind of where my training started. Bachelor in Exercise Science. I knew from young age, like that's what I wanted to do. I got my NSCA, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist Certification, so I could do personal training. That was like a big goal of mine. Like that's the gold standard as far as what we talked about in schooling. Got that in 2012 and I actually started working at the gym while I was in college. So before I was even certified, started doing personal training, teaching group ags, working with athletes right away in college. So after that, I... I think like any college person was like, I'm going to own my own gym someday. So I wanted to pursue like the business side of things. So I went on to the University of South Dakota, did my master's in sport facility management, one of the business side of things. And then from there, I just, I hit the ground running and working. I started working at a YMCA. I started as a part-time employee there, working full-time hours, doing personal training, group X, all the things there. And then worked my way into being a full-time employee there, bidding on their payroll as their fitness director and new sport director. So I did that for seven years. Thoroughly love that job. I think the appreciation for just fitness through the lifespan, working with five-year-olds all the way up to 99-year-olds was just something that I truly impacted my career. So after that, we started to try for kids. Uh, my story comes with a lot of infertility and um, four plus years of trying. And finally, I got pregnant with my son. And at that point, like I decided I wanted to step away from the physical fitness career, like the brick and mortar. And I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And so I came home and raised him, started my postpartum journey. And then this is where I got into the pregnancy and postpartum space is I had many complications during my postpartum experience. And as I started to heal my body, these things that I was learning about the core, the pelvic floor, breath, posture, or pressure management, I was like, man, how do I not know these things? Like, if I don't know these things. There is no way the common mom walking into the gym space knows these things. So that is where my passion for like wanting to share that information. So I got my certification through the pregnancy postpartum athleticism course, which is Brianna Battles course. She's big in the CrossFit space, uh, got certified through her. And then I started putting together my business. I still wanted to stay home with my kids, but I knew I could do this in the online space. There's many coaches within the certification that we're doing it themselves. And here I am. So I'm starting year two of working in the online space and yeah, enjoying it. It's hard, but enjoying enjoying the process as we go. Yeah. So I was I was a personal trainer as well before I was a, a collegiate strength coach. And you hit on a very important aspect of the training that 
we go through in school, but also through our certification process. Now, so like we, I have my CSCS as well, and that is more athlete focused, but as we know, athletes get pregnant and so they still are going to want to train and whatnot, but you know, that aspect of the CSCS is not in there. And so when I had pregnant clients, I was like clueless Mm -hmm. and I did my best and I I shuddered to even think about what I did do. I can't remember because this was like 10 years ago, but (laughs) I'm thinking now that I just am more aware of the education needed in this space. Mm -hmm. I'm just like those poor clients. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, and a lot of, a lot of the clients are subject to, we believe what our doctors say and, Mm, you know, and I'm not bashing doctors by any means, but. I wouldn't want to perform a C-section like a client would never ask me to perform a C-section just like a doctor isn't that's not their expertise is not fitness like they might cover a little bit in college or in their medical you know, whatever but it's not something that they're going to dive deeper into like they're going to learn how to save your life like that is their job to get you and baby mm-hmm. to the world you know through through your pregnancy healthy and you know it's and I did it too. Like I just went by my doctor's advice, like, well, you did what you did. You can continue doing what you always do. And that's just not permanent for the modern mom of today. Yeah. And I think that's where I would like to start with the topic of today, which is fitness throughout pregnancy is even for trainers, confusing aspect of this is the, the, the width of the spectrum. It's like, yes. it's either one end where you see women who are like seven, eight months pregnant, still snatching. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, that seems like she's fine. Like, I don't think anything bad is happening. But then there's the other end of the spectrum where it's almost like pregnant women are so fragile. If you do anything but walk, you're going to like break something. So, I mean, obviously it's going to lie in the middle somewhere and at different points in the journey, you're going to go kind of from one end of the spectrum to the other. But yeah, I would really like to get into answering these questions of like, where does the truth lie and where is that middle ground? Okay. So yeah, like you said, you have both ends of the spectrum. You have women that are told and want to continue Mm -hmm. doing what they always did. And I believe that is, we, we are the first generation that know nothing but sport. Like I grew up from the age of five playing t-ball my mom didn't grow up with that same like aspect so this whole idea of sport and athlete and pushing the body and watching and seeing other women like we have women that we can idolize from a very young age that we just want to be just like them so this whole athlete brain this this mentality is just embedded in us from a very very young age we we're competitive we're told to push through the pain we're told to you know no pain no gain like that you put test your limit, those sorts of things. So that's embedded in us. And then you have the complete opposite other end of the spectrum. Like you mentioned that, you know, to the, today doctors are still telling women, you can't lift more than 20 to 35 pounds. Well, that doesn't make sense. My toddler weighs 35 pounds. So you're telling me I can't lift up my, I can't lift up with my three-year-old. So that is very fear-mongering to women. And, you know, and I'm not criticizing what, because usually that's like, oh, well, you can do walking and yoga. And I'm not, hating on walking and yoga. I think they're very beneficial. But if you don't know what you're doing in yoga, you can be putting your core, your pelvic floor in a lot of vulnerable positions. And it's not a quote unquote safe exercise, even though it looks safe because it's, it's gentle. So um, 
a lot of things in our life are very realistic. I mean, strength training is, you and I both know, it's a direct adaptation of our daily living. We squat, we hinge, we pull, we press, and we push. And we do. And we need our core and all of that in order to do that. So we need our training to match that. So when we're looking at training during pregnancy, it's looking at we are meeting our body where it's at. So our body is undergoing immense stress. Um, pregnancy is very stressful on the body. And so we need, our training needs to complement that. So our entire life, we're progressively loading, okay? We're always trying to get stronger, faster, bigger, if that's your, if that's your objective. Pregnancy is opposite. It's progressively deloading because the body is progressively growing. It's growing a human. Like your body is literally growing a human and you're preparing for a big event, a big life change, not just physically, but just emotionally, mentally. I mean, you have a, a sweet little girl at home. I mean, you know that that impact, that change that happens on your life. And that's the idea that we're trying to get back to as far as training women during pregnancy, that it's more than just fitness, like letting go of that identity, surrendering to that and mm -hmm. being willing to adapt and change as you go forward. Yeah, those are those are great points because it is a physically, emotionally, mentally taxing event when you have your baby. So the danger then with the end of the spectrum of like, okay, don't lift more than 20 pounds or whatever that end is dangerous kind of, or it's, yes, it's yeah. not helpful. Because your activities of the, yeah, because your activities of daily living are harder. So mm -hmm. if you, if you're not breathing correctly, when you're picking up your kid or you're holding your breath or you're putting all your pressure downward, when you pick up the groceries of the laundry basket, like or you're losing your low back, like that is directly going to influence how you feel and how you show up. So you can't just like walk around holding. I mean, this is pregnant or non-pregnant. This is this is me going on a soapbox of women need to lift weights, like not just five pound dumbbells. Like this is why you need to lift weights, because as soon as we put a label on something in the weight room, women are like, well, I can't do that. But if I don't have that label on the child or the groceries or whatever in daily living, oh, well, I can lift that. You know, so it's this, it's this whole idea of, you know, yeah, like you said, it's, it's being safe from both aspects of it. Like you can be unsafe, not doing it enough. For sure. Um, what are, what are some other big misconceptions surrounding exercise and fitness during pregnancy? Do any other ones come to mind? Um, another big one that would come to mind is a lot of people will sell to you in the fitness space that you can prevent a diastasis during your pregnancy. You cannot prevent a diastasis during your pregnancy. A diastasis, all a diastasis is, is it is the thinning and stretching of your linea alba. That is very, very important. It's a beautiful thing that pregnancy has that adaptation to do. Your muscle fibers are not stretching. If that was happening, like pregnancy would be really painful. We don't want your muscle fibers to stretch. Like that's not happening. But instead, that linea alba, the tissue that runs from your sternum all the way down to your pubic bone, that is thinning and stretching. And that is what is adaptating to the growing baby going forward. So that is going to happen. 100% of women by their third trimester will have a diastasis. So instead, what you're looking at is your training and how you show up, not just in the gym, but in daily living as well. You know, the whole idea is to not make it worse. So that's where we utilize posture strategies, breast strategies, pressure distribution strategies in order to minimize a diastasis from becoming worse. Because there's things you can control with it like how you show up and then there's things you can't your genetics where baby's positioned how you how you grow a baby so women just grow babies straight out so women you know can distribute their baby you know it looks like oh you're like nine months pregnant like you can't be nine months pregnant so 
that's where each woman a little bit different they carry their for sure and then what is true about diastasis rect that there are there are degrees to it correct or how, how yeah, is so that there's, there's a lot of like i tell women not to fear a diastasis if we mm-hmm. can create tension so i'm talking about the postpartum moms if we okay. can create tension across your linea alba i don't care how wide how deep any of it tension is what you need and that's for the functioning diastasis is what you're looking for but yes to, to answer your question there's width. I think anything like two centimeters or less is considered quote unquote normal. Or like it's measured by like your knuckles of, of your fingers. So if it's like a fingernail depth, that's considered normal. So there's different variations of that, but and it can be wider or narrowed on different parts of your linea alba. So depending on where you just distribute pressure or where your sure. linea alba is thinned and stretched. So it 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 varies across. But to me, I don't women get so like, oh my gosh, my abs are separated. I I don't care. Like, can we create tension across your abs? Cool. Okay. Let's, let's go forward. Stop worrying about it. Because if you're controlling that, you're one, not making your diastasis worse, but you can heal your diastasis if you're aware of those things. Okay. Very cool. Okay. So we'll probably get in, I mean, I'm guessing we'll get into some of that when we, we get to the trimester by trimester part of the episode. Um, Before we get there, I would like to talk about trainers specifically, what are some of the biggest misconceptions or mistakes or well-meaning or otherwise that you see from other exercise professionals when it comes to training a pregnant client? All right. So I rank these in like order of like three, two, one. So I think the third, like the top, the top one or the the least, you know what I mean? The third one would be playing into her athlete brain. So telling her like, oh girl, like you can continue doing what you've always done. Like playing into that encouraging her, motivating her, complimenting her, doing all of those things, programming stuff for her. Like if she's asking for it and you're giving it to her, now you can't control what she does outside of your space. But what trainers need to realize is that what she does during this critical chapter can make a huge impact on how she shows up in the future, her future athleticism. So things such as leaking and prolapse and, you know, diastasis, all of that stuff can be minimized or completely, you know, again, we can't control everything, but can be minimized for her future self. So mm-hmm. against the question I always, you know, want athletes to realize is, do you want to be doing marathon training when you're nine months pregnant? Or do you want to be doing that when you're 40 and you're done having kids? Because if that's your goal, then this is what we need to do during this chapter of sure. your life. And it's a very small chapter. I know women feel like nine months is a really long time. But it's a very, very small chapter of her athleticism yeah. if you're looking at the big picture. If she's wanting to continue it across her lifespan. For sure. So that would be the biggest thing. And also realizing that women, just as women, like our tendencies are, we resist change. We don't like change. And we hold on to ideals. Like we strive for idealism, like perfection, especially if you're working with a type A personality, which I think many athletes kind of fall into that category. So that would be the third one. The second one would be not progressively deloading movements, loads, and intensities. Okay, so thinking about during this chapter, reminding her that we're not we're not taking away these things. We're instead like, what are ways that we can modify and add? Can we add in more rest? Can we add in more mobility? Can we add in exercises? Like instead of this exercise, let's add this exercise because it supports baby's positioning or it supports your pelvis. Um, we can look at making the connection to postpartum. Like I'm having you do this so that your return postpartum is easier. So just kind of re-looking at like, instead of like always taking away, like you think about a toddler, you take away everything from them, they kind of throw it. 
athletes are going to do the same thing if you take things away from them. So again, just like rethinking about how you progress her mm-hmm. throughout her pregnancy and taking things away, just kind of how you verbalize those things. But this chapter is truly about preserving her body. We're not trying to test boundaries. We're not trying to test limits. We're truly trying to preserve her body so that she can return to what she was doing pre-pregnancy. I mean, you think about it, it's just preparation. Like, like you would for any sporting event, you, yes. you, you would do yes. things to prepare for the demands of that event. And then leading up to that event, you are going to scale back on some things, focus on others. And so they can perform the best that they can in the event. Yeah. And it's been, it's also just like everyone, every other client, if you think about it, the way of in how you frame things, you know, even with college athletes, if you give them a quote unquote regression because they may not be adept at a certain exercise, they hate that. <laughs> they, yes. they like, if you call it regression, there's this connotation that like, oh, I'm not good enough or, oh. treating me like with kid gloves or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. that doesn't change, you know, if someone is in a different situation. So that's a really good point. Uh, Let's do, let's do your last one. And then I do have a follow-up question to, to one of them. Okay. So then the last one is you literally have no clue to the considerations of a core and pelvic floor. Like if you don't realize how that system, and I'm talking from diaphragm to pelvic floor, transverse abdominis her linea alba if you don't understand how that pressure system works and how distribute distribution of pressure works that is that's something that you need to if you want to work with a pregnant athlete you need to understand that because there's six ways so it ties into like when people say like just listen to your body this directly correlates into listening to your body so there's six p's that you can use or you know you or it's more the athlete because she needs to be able to tell you some of these things that she's experiencing. But the things fees are pain. So if she's experiencing any sort of knee pain, hip pain, pubic bone pain, pelvis pain, pain on her linea alba, that's a red flag that whatever that particular exercise is doing, it's too much. The second one would be pee, leaky, peeing her pants, even just a little tinkle or a spray. I think that's a real big misconception is that moms are told that like, oh, like I, I was told this and this happened to me. Like, just get ready. You're going to pee your pants every time you do squat jumps, jumping jacks, like just get just get used to it. And then that started happening to me in my pregnancy. I was like, OK, well, I guess this is normal. Like, this is just momhood, I guess. That is not normal. So that is a sign that your body is not able to handle whatever that particular exercise that's causing you. There's something wrong. So it could be your breath. It could be your strategy could be your posture it could just be the exercise itself so the next one would be pressure and this is pelvic floor pressure heaviness feeling like something is falling out of her that is pressure and then there's pokey excuse me puffing which would be any sort of breath holding so if she is like holding her breath in order to perform an exercise that's a red flag like it's probably too much we need to change the strategy and see if she can continue the other part of that would be like if she's having to like stumble across her words in order to get stuff out, it's probably at an intensity that is too high. She should be able to pretty much carry on a conversation. And then the last two big ones would be, these are big hot topics too that you hear talks about in the fitness space, is domain and cone. So that is the presentation of pressure on your linea alba, happens to males and females, but domain is like your first red flag. It looks like a football or a two by four or a bread loaf coming out. 
of your abdomen. And again, it's usually your entire abdomen protruding outward. And then combing is usually in a very small section. And I tell people it looks like a triangle or a mountain coming outward. And it's usually always associated with doming. So you have doming where you can have doming and combing put together. So those are things, those are probably the only two that a trainer can truly see on their athlete, depending on what it is that they're wearing. But like, if your athlete's not telling you that she's peeing her pants or experiencing pain, the pressure in her, you know, pelvic floor, and you could, you wouldn't be able to see the puffing. But so those other three big ones are things that you would have to be able to have those conversations, be comfortable having those conversations with your athlete. So I, I just want to make sure we I have the the P's correct. So pain, right? Yep. P pressure puffing, and then what were the last two? Poking, which is doming, and then peaking, which is combing. Okay, gotcha. Awesome. Just want to make make sure I had those. So just really quickly, if a trainer did see those things, like the doming or the coning. Is there anything mm-hmm. they need to do in the moment for those things, or is that? Yeah. So, like right away, like um, right. Away, it's not. It's not like no, no. It's. I mean, if they are able to understand, like, okay, maybe we need to change the positioning of that. So, like, let's just take like an overhead press it's you, Okay. So we see coning at the top of, above her belly button. Okay. So can we do that single arm? Does that go away? Okay. Like then we can continue continue doing the exercise. Maybe we put her into an incline position. That's less force going outward on her linear outlet. But even before we do either of those two things, we can change how she does it, her breast strategy. So instead of exhaling as she goes up, inhaling as she goes down, maybe we can breathe wide into our lats, begin our exhale, and do that throughout the entire range of motion, bringing more support to the linear alba. If she's able to keep the coning or dummy going away when she does that, then she can continue doing that exercise in the way that is prescribed. Okay, great. So it's something just kind of keep out for to, to almost like to test if a, an exercise is appropriate or um yeah. okay awesome so the question i want to ask is actually to go back to the very first you know mistake that you mentioned about feeding into the athlete brain because this i think is you know i'm almost certain i probably i probably did this when i had pregnant clients and you know it's in an effort to be supportive right but you're right it is feeding mm-hmm. into something what would you recommend then? Like how, how would you recommend trainers, you know, communicate in a way that still is supportive, but feeding into the athlete brain? I would say it's a matter of like, where is her head face at for that particular day? Like, how is she feeling just overall? Like, not just like towards the workout, but how is she feeling just in her, her pregnancy in general? Like, is she feeling anxious? Is she feeling good? Is she, you know, how is she feeling in terms of that? It would, it, talking big picture, like reminding her, okay, I know you really want to push today. Like, I know you really want to do those burpees that are up on the wall today. I know you want to do that, but let's do this instead. And finding ways that make her get that endorphin high without hmm. testing boundaries and pushing the limits. So, you know, another example would be like, maybe you do more like circuit style training with her. So that way she's getting her heart rate up. She feels like she's, you know, being an athlete, she's moving. You know, I think medicine balls are like a great way to just like get out a lot of aggression, like upper body plyos. So battle rope. I mean, all those things are okay because I mean, as long as we're in a good position, we're protecting, you know, especially if we're doing anything overhead as far as slamming, but she can let out some aggression while still being in a good position, protecting her core and pelvic floor. So 
if looking at different ways to alter her training, we can, we'll talk about some of this in the like trimester considerations, but how can we still make her feel like an athlete while preparing her for her future? So, and, ta- and just talking about the future, like, you know, what do you want to be doing a year from now? Like, what, yeah. what's your goals? Like, you know, I think most moms think that they'll never be able to return back to their current state. And that is such, I mean, you talk to anyone, like the network of coaches that I'm involved with, like, all of us feel that we're stronger physically and mentally than we were before. Like moms, like becoming a mom changed, like made that a process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to be willing to adapt to that and accept that. But I know I'm stronger physically than I was prior, you know? Awesome. Awesome. So for the rest of the episode, I do want to get into trimester considerations. So what I would like us to do is... Just go trimester or go, yeah, trimester by trimester. And for each one, can you give just general overarching goals or considerations for that period of time? And then, okay. you know, maybe a few specific things that trainers can either look for or implement, you know, that that they could utilize when they get done listening to this episode. Okay, right. So, so I would say that the big thing for looking at, I'm going to talk about one overarching is the entire time we're talking about risk versus reward. What is the risk of performing that particular exercise? What is the reward of performing that particular exercise? Because that question is going to directly feed into, is this serving my my now self and my ego, or is this serving my future self? So those are two big questions that as trainers, you can be asking yourself too, as you're putting programming together. But Another way that we can ask moms, like bringing her back into maybe like her current state, like, is this serving you now? Yes. Okay. Then this is why we're prescribing this particular exercise. So, and then the other thing would be just understanding that pregnant moms just need to control what they can. So how we show up, our mindset, and what we do in daily living, posture, breathing, and the rest we just can't control. We cannot control how birth happens. We cannot control how our our baby grows, how our body grows a baby things that might happen during our pregnancy, bleeding, placenta previa. Maybe you have um, the pubic symphysis where, you know, you're pain all the time, but we can't control those things. So just the the very first thing is becoming adaptable because from the moment you found out you're pregnant, your life is going to change. So when that baby comes home, you're, you're never coming back to this previous life that you had. So being willing to adapt and being willing to accept that changes is So in the first trimester, um, and I'd broken these up into mindset and then just physical stuff. So Great. in the first trimester, like shit just got real. Like it <laughs> literally just got real. Like whether it was planned or you were hoping or it's unplanned, like shit just got real. Like, yeah. wow, we're adding another human into, you know, the dynamic here. So it's kind of encompassing that and helping her get through those emotions. But mindset is like things are happening, even though like, especially for athletes, like we might not physically be seeing those changes. So know that things are rapidly changing inside and that will affect how she feels on the outside. So maybe she's tired. She's food aversions, fatigue, nausea. Maybe her breasts are sore, shortness of breath. I mean, all of these different things that are associated with first trimester feelings. Um, being able to just like accept those as they come. Like they're going to happen for some women. Some women don't. And like those symptoms are going to be the most challenging part of the first trimester. So so when you're when you're looking at training, if the mom is feeling fine, like I felt really great throughout my pregnancies in the first trimester, I didn't have like I had some fatigue, but that was about it. Um, she can continue doing 
95% of women will be able to continue doing what they were doing previously during that first trimester. The other 5%, and I'm only like putting a 5% on it, is like just eliminating high-risk activities. So whatever that is for you, I know like the the American Council of Pregnancy, I can't think of the name right now, but you know, they say like rock climbing or horse sack, right? You know, those sorts of things. You yeah. need to decide the risk versus the reward for that. Like I'm not, that's a whole nother spiel, but other things like just from a training aspect is, you know, eliminating the weight belt, competing and performing PRs. So if that's kind of like what your training looks like, you, you need to look to discontinue that in your first trimester. But otherwise, for the most part, most women can continue doing what they did during their first trimester. So really the first trimester, what we tell women is like, now's the time to start learning about your core and pelvic floor. Like if you don't already know these things, let's start learning about them so that you know that these changes are coming because we can't prevent these things from not happening. Like this is what your body undergoes in order to grow a human being. So just becoming aware of like the core pressure system, what pressure is, like what are those six Ps? What do they look like? Yeah. And how to protect those systems. And that comes with breath, posture, how you show up in daily living and just being like aware of your tendencies. Like, are you somebody that always squeezes your butt cheeks together? Okay, like that's a tendency. We need, you need to learn to let that go. So those are the things that we look for in the first trimester. So it's, it's the hardest and the easiest trimester, just depending on like, it's more due to your pregnancy symptoms is what sure. makes it hard. Yeah, that, that can be a major hurdle. So when it comes to like breath and posture, are there certain things that, that women can do to like start to learn these things and, and feel it for themselves. Like I'm thinking like, you know, for an athlete, we might use like a dead bug or a bird dog to teach lumbopelvic control and that kind of, are there any considerations that you would use then, or would you put those in the second trimester? No, definitely right away. Like, again, this is something pregnant or not pregnant. Mm -hmm. Women should know how to do, but if you don't know how to diaphragmatically breathe, you first need to learn how to do that because that is the essence of, pressure distribution in your system. Um, if you're somebody that always, you know, sucks in your stomach all the time, or if you're somebody that thinks you're diaphragmatically breathing, but you're just a belly breather, that's just outward pressure. Like if that's the first place that all of your ear goes to, and even if we think about lifting, like if I'm going to brace for a barbell back squat mm. and I go and I put all that pressure downward, that's something that we need to learn how to distrib- distribute that pressure laterally so things that we talk about as far as making adjustments is we're going to breathe into our lats we're going to breathe into our ribs we're going to breathe into our lats we're going to distribute that pressure laterally so that it's not going all down and out on your core and pelvic floor down below so re-teaching her how she distributes pressure or if she is somebody that uses the Belsalva mover as far as being able to brace okay now we need to learn how to exhale through exertion okay maybe utilizing a support breath, like I went back to that shoulder press where we're going to exhale throughout the top. So if we're going back to that barbell, I'm going to take an inhale into my lats. I'm going to set that brace and then I'm going to exhale as I go down and I'm going to exhale as I come back up. That's going to protect your core and pelvic floor. Give her additional support as she goes throughout that. And then she's going to stop at the top and repeat. She's going to inhale and then exhale as she's moving. So those are different things that we can, I mean, you're not going to need that right away. Yeah. But those are things that we can start practicing Absolutely. in order to be able to do those in the second. So like going back to like the dead bug and being able to stabilize her pelvis. Yes, those are things pregnant or non-pregnant we need to be able to do. You know, her positioning, finding a neutral spine, 
every woman is going to have a like posterior tilt or an anterior tilt. She's going to have a tendency and being aware of that tendency is really, really important because that tendency is going to relate to just where her body naturally distributes pressure. So if you're an anterior tilter, you are naturally putting pressure down on your lower linea alba and on your front pelvic floor. If you always are squeezing your butt cheeks together, your back of your pelvic floor is tight. So those can create complications further, not only in your pregnancy, but postpartum as well. Okay. And then for, for something like, you know, you mentioned not, you know, PRs, is there something inherently dangerous with that as far as like risk to the baby or? No, it's, it's okay. just a matter of that athlete brain. That's okay. really what it comes down to. It's, yeah. it's not that it's, <laughs> and that's, and that's where I didn't want to get into like people that continue to, you know, if you're a rock climber or you're a yeah. uh, snowboard or ski, like that yeah. is, you, that's your own inherent risk. But just as far as PR, it's starting to like, let go of your former identity, mm. like being able to, okay, I, because a lot of times it's like, okay, I did it last time. Like, I'm sure it's okay this time. And I'm, I'm sure it's okay this time. So it's beginning to let go of that former identity and being able to adapt and change as your body is continuing to change. Because as athletes, we don't realize like, oh, these changes are actually happening. Like, you just kind of ignore what's what's happening within your body. That's just how you're ingrained to to train. Sure. Okay. I got you. All right. Awesome. Let's uh, Let's go to second trimester. All right. So second trimester is where most, most women are going to feel their best. But the second trimester is also the trimester where it's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. Like I have like my belly is growing like this. <laughs> this is really, really happening. So the body is structurally starting to make changes. OK, so those things can include just like your pelvis, your your feet are flattening, you know, your your ligaments and everything relaxing is pumping through your body. So they're becoming more stretchy. Those sorts of things are, are happening structurally. So mindset wise is as your body's changing, your workouts need to reflect that. And that is the greatest respect and strength that you can show as an athlete. So like if you're doing your own programming or, you know, just a mindset thing that you can help your clients realize is like, this is the greatest respect that you can give for your body is respecting this process that your body is literally growing that human being inside of you. So it goes back to that questioning of like, can I versus should I? And something that like Brandon Battles always talk about is like, if you're questioning that, like if you're looking at like, burpees i always go back to burpees you're like i don't know if i should do that you probably shouldn't do that so just something you know to look at itself but physically the goal is learning so here's where that pressure comes in is distributing pressure away from already stressed systems so the core and pelvic floor are maintaining everything and if you look at the pelvic floor itself even in the first trimester your fluids are increasing your pressure your blood volume is is increasing now you have the weight of a placenta, you have baby's weight, you have all of these things, you know, the, the, the typical woman will put on 30 to, what is it, 30 to 40 pounds or whatever the, the range is, but your pelvic floor has to support that and everything else that you've already, just you, like before baby sure. entered into the picture. So those things are already very stressed systems. And so the whole idea, like I said earlier, is to minimize that stress on those symptoms. So this is where in the second trimester, and I like to look at it as reduce, modify, then eliminate. So that kind of gives athletes control and client or your trainers control of like, okay, first we're going to reduce the movement, modify the movements, and then eventually we'll probably have to eliminate some movements. So the first one would be high impact movements. And that is anything that is 
high rep repetition, high force. Okay. So running, jumping, jumping rope, anything that falls into that category. I mean, just think about it. If you're jumping rope, like your pelvic floor is just taking a beating. So just because, yeah, just because like, and this is where I like looking back at my first pregnancy, I did all those things. Like I felt fine. Like I was peeing my pants, but like, I I thought that was fine. Um, Where you might feel okay, but it's, it's as a trainer looking at that exercise and being like, okay, what is that doing for her? How is that distributing or impacting her core and pelvic floor? Like what, what is doing on that? Okay. Can we change that? So that would be, so if we take a look at something like a squat jump, can we one, reduce the number of reps that she's performing? Maybe if she's doing it with a medicine ball, can we take away the medicine ball? And then from there, can we modify it? Can we take away the jaw? Can we just have her explode up onto her tiptoes and drop down? Can we do it that way? And then eventually it's probably going to need to be eliminated just because baby is, you know, she's seven, six, seven, eight months pregnant and it's just, it's protecting her core in pelvic floor. So the next one would be looking at like swapping out ab focus exercises. So crunches, V-sits, they're not needed. I mean, don't. Don't get me on a rant just on them in, in general, but like mm-hmm. a lot of people think that's the only way to train your core and it's yeah, really not. Flexion-based so, exercises. Yes, flexion, yeah. flexion-based. So what we want to look for is starting to incorporate more whole core. So planks, side planks, bare planks, farmer carries, just offset squats, offset hinges. Like how can we load her core differently? Because it's very important that she continues to do core exercises. But how can we load it differently that doesn't look like crunches and decents because we know that she's going to cone and don't throughout, I mean, first trimester. Because most people don't know how to do those correctly anyway. So we know that that's going to create that coning and don't mean that we already know. So some of those exercises too, as she's progressing, we're going to need to look at like adding elevation in the prones. Like I've been talking about like plank or plank rows. She is going to need to do that from a bench or a box or maybe even eventually a wall. So things like push-ups fall in that category as well. But just, again, it just goes back to protecting that linea alba. If we're completely flat on the floor, gravity is, I mean, gravity in and of itself is is pulling down on that, on that linea alba. Sure. So with exercises like that, do, do they have to be cognizant of how pressure is managed? Because those are high pressure throughout the core exercises. So yes. does that need yep. to be managed? And then how can they do that? So like if we're taking a look at like, um, let's take a look at a push-up, okay? Because that's not our concentric and eccentric movement pattern happening. So first, yeah. if she's performing it on the floor and you see conning or doming, okay? So the burst would be switching to, can we switch her breath, okay? Can we switch to where she has constant core tension so she's not... She's inhaling and, or she's at the top of the movement. She's going to inhale and then she's going to exhale down, exhale back up. If she still can't control her core when she's doing that, then we need to add the elevation to that particular exercise. And then you can also look at another breast strategy I use, not only with myself, but I teach other moms is, I call it like a, a power breath or a modified power breath. So you get that core engagement and you're going to maintain that core engagement, but you're still matching your inhalation and your exhalation to the concentric and eccentric. So if we go back to that push-up, I'm going to get a nice strong core engagement. I'm going to hold on to that. I can still breathe when with core tension, but I'm going to inhale as I'm going down and then I'm going to exhale really hold, like we turn like hug the baby. Like I think when you're pregnant, it's a really nice way to like think about a core engagement is it's hugging your baby up mm-hmm. into you. And on the exhale, you're going to really pull that core in mm-hmm. nice and tight again. So it's not that you let it go on the inhale, but 
So if either of those two breast strategies aren't working for her, then we need to change how she performs it. So we need to change the positioning. Maybe it's out of the bench or adding, you know, a small box underneath of her. And then it's in, then at that point too, even in the push or at the bench, okay, eventually comes a point. She might be able to do it until she's nine months pregnant. She might not. We might need to move up to the wall. I myself had to do wall push-ups when I was eight, eight and a half months pregnant because I couldn't do it at the bench anymore. And there's no shame in that. Like I said, this all goes back to that's the strongest thing you can do for your body because I want to be able to do push-ups at a year postpartum without, you know, a very open diastasis or, you know, leaking and, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so every single time it's looking at reducing, modifying, and then, you know, eliminating. But there's some exercises that you're never going to eliminate. You're never going to eliminate a squat because it's a foundational movement. You're never going to eliminate a hinge because it's foundational movement. That's activities of daily living. So they have to stay within her programming. We just need to sure. change how she's doing that. Maybe she squats to a box and comes up instead of trying to support herself down at the bottom of the squat, which is the hardest force-wise on her core and the pelvic floor. Okay. So at this point, how how can women help themselves by listening? Like earlier you mentioned listening to their body because I'm assuming this is like really where this starts to take Yes. Really, yep. really important. What are some things that, you know, you help women with getting their head around the, the mindset and also, you know, c- communicating that to the trainer because the trainer doesn't know. Like, they can't. No. Like, no. And that's, feel and that's where like very, yeah, a very special relationship has to have happen is, you know, like let's say a common one is that a woman is, ex- is, peeing her pants are leaking a little bit at the bottom of a squat. Like that's a very common point that a woman is experiencing leaking. So, you know, first, can we reduce her load? Well, the first thing that we would look at is what rep? Like, is there, is it every single time or is it rep eight or rep six that it always happens? If it's that case, then let's train just under that. Let's always just go right to that and then give herself a 30 second, one minute, you know, that's where the rest period comes into play. The next thing that you would take a look at is, can we reduce her the, the range of motion? Like, she's not going to go down as far. And then from there, you're looking at, you know, do I need to add a box? Like, does she physically need to sit down on that box, squat to the to the bench or to the box, and then come up out of that? Is that going to give her the additional support? Um, some other things that, you know, might cope with that is looking at, you know, can we switch to like an adduction squat where we're putting like a ball between her legs and that's going to help fire her pelvic floor a little bit more because we can't say that that leaking is associated to a weak pelvic floor. Like that's, that could be a whole other topic in and of itself, but many women think that leaking is associated to a weak pelvic floor and that is really not the case. And it's more not the case in athletes because we come from just we hold on to things, we grip things, we, we clench things, we contract things. So most women have a tight pelvic floor. So when we're looking at the squat, is she squeezing her core as strong as, as hard as she can? If she is, that's putting a lot of downward pressure. Can we tell her to let her belly go? Is she squeezing her glutes as hard as she can at the top of the move? Like, is that creating a lot of tension? Can we just have her come up to a standing position? So there's a ton of things that we should look at as far as just like the squat and how she performs it. Is she tucking her tailbone down at the bottom? Is she, is she butt leaking? Is that what's causing mm-hmm. her, her leaking? So there's a lot of different variables that we can look at if a woman is experiencing leaking, but it takes a very close relationship yeah. with no client to trainer in order to 
be willing to say those things. So for sure, for sure. Okay. Let's go ahead and do third trimester. Okay. I got one more for the second trimester because okay. oh, this great. is really important. Okay. Reduce, awesome. eliminate, or alter Olympic lifts. So okay, when, the, when the belly starts to impede with the path of your bar, and it's not so much that it, like, you know, you went back to your snatch example. Yes, there's the, the positioning and everything else, but a big thing that like you can hone in on your athlete is that you've worked years, years to perfect that motion pattern. We know that muscle memory comes into play. So if you start altering that bar path, to get around your stomach mm-hmm. when that baby is no longer there, that's going to be your bar path movement. Yep. And a lot of people think that like, oh, I have to continue it because I don't want to lose that like muscle, whatever. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you continue to do it during your pregnancy or after your body is entirely new postpartum. You're going to have to relearn it anyway. And you should, but you're going to come back to it faster. It's just like riding a bike. Like if I haven't sure. rode a bike for three years, I'm not going to get on a bike and not know how to ride the bike. That's all going to come back to you. But if you do it throughout your pregnancy and change that bar path, you have a very, very hard time because, yeah, it's just your your body's ingrained. Like, that's the new normal. So reduce, eliminate. You can do a lot of things with a kettlebell. I think kettlebells are very versatile. You know, you can do a lot of Olympic-type lifting. Single arm is the biggest thing that we can switch to. But, you know, snatches are very, that we get, we get more into that in the third trimester of, eliminating and reducing most women are going to have to eliminate anything double overhead in their third trimester because of the ability to control the core on the breath side okay awesome okay let's go ahead and yeah let's go ahead and do third trimester then okay so third trimester this is where the trimester that baby is undergrowing the most growth so each week could literally feel like wow i just felt like a whole lot bigger so baby's growing a lot and then a lot of women might experience like a lot of like first trimester symptoms such as like the fatigue nausea those things might start creeping back in a little bit so just like really like you're slowing down like we want women to walk into birth and postpartum like not dying like not so fatigued so tired that like now you're really tired because you're not sleeping, but like you don't want your body to be so fatigued and yeah. rained going into birth. So those are the big like overarching themes in the third trimester. But mindset, again, that can I versus should I, the ego. But it's really like recognizing that you literally have nothing to prove. Like a lot of people think that like, oh, I have to prove to everyone that I can do this. No, you don't. Like you don't have to prove anything to anybody. So you're, you're um, about to embark saying- on like the biggest prove prove it moment of like yes, the, yes. The whole time. yes exactly so just like really just like training for enjoyment like what brings you pleasure like you don't feel like training that day don't train that day or if you if if your client only feels like walking and doing some body weight squats or doing just some mobility support that so just really just what does the body need and i think that's something that like as listening to our body that's like we can really start to recognize like what patterns like our body might need more rest that particular day and that's okay because we're literally preparing for a really big event. So physically reduce, modify, eliminate those overhead pushing and pulling movements. And it really just comes back to the ability to maintain tension across the linea alba. And that just becomes extremely difficult. It's just a high force outward. A lot of women will start to like arch their shoulders back and leverage. Now we have low back issues. It's just, it goes down the chain kinetically. We're squeezing our glutes and our pelvic floor is tight. Like it's just not needed. So switching to a single movement or just adding some incline or just eventually just taking out of it. So like rows, 
just do them in front of you or do ring rows. You don't need to do lat pull downs or pull ups or chin ups or anything like that. So decreasing just the intensity, low duration tempo, the complexity of movements, just make them simpler. Um, pelvic floor relaxation. And I know that this is something many people don't think about, but pelvic floor relaxing is critical for birth. Like your pelvic floor does not push baby out. Your uterus pushes baby out. Your pelvic floor just needs to get out of the way. So can we help her down train her pelvic floor mobility, rest, pelvic floor imagery, relaxation? Can we get that pelvic floor to let go so that it is ready for birth? Because if we have a tight pelvic floor, it could impede like the process of birth. It could lead to more tearing. It could maybe eventually lead her to a C-section if, you know, if she's holding on so tight that, you know, her body isn't able to let go. But, and then this is where I really like to add things. So focus on movements that prepare that pelvis for birth. So asymmetrical movement, lunges, step ups, a lateral lunges, anything just asymmetrical is really, really, um, it gets that pelvis moving, that mid pelvis. And that is the narrowest part of the pelvis for birth. And that's the part where babies usually get stuck is in the middle. So if we can get her pelvis, like recognizing mobility, then that will help her during her labor process as well. But internal rotation, adduction, external rotation, abduction, just thinking about how the pelvis moves because it's it's a very, I mean, moves tons of different ways. Sure. And then the other thing like to incorporate is a lot of like posterior oblique slings. So anything where, you know, her one leg's doing something and she's rowing on the other side. So like I like bird dog rows, reverse lunge rows, anything that's just supporting that SI joint and sure. her little it's just things to help prepare her and support her her body where it's at. And then we're just changing those strategies, breath, core engagement, posture, depth, and just recognizing that there is so much value in just going through the motions, whatever that looks like. If it's body weight squats, yeah. if it hinges with a 20 pound weight, like that's what feels good. There's just, there's so much value in just going through the motions and not pushing and testing your body. Yeah, that. That is actually a question that came to mind listening to you talk is how can trainers, you know, look at load? I'm guessing there's aren't all just bodyweight movements, right? Like there can be some load, no. but. Um, yes. Yeah. Like definitely not. Like, again, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, mimicking her activity as a daily living. But like, it all goes back to like, what is heavy? I mean, if she's able to do that and she's experiencing no symptoms, again, it's, it's this, it's very, very gray and it's very, very individualized as far as like, what, what was she able to do before? She shouldn't probably be at those same intensities, but just taking a look at like, what is, what is meeting her body, like where it's at? So is this, you know, shoulder press, like if she was able to do 20, 30 pounds, okay, that's probably not appropriate anymore, but can she, can she maybe do that in an incline press still? Sure. Then then that's fine. But it really comes down to, is that intensity or is that load? First, is it impacting just the movement itself, the core of pelvic floor? But if it's not, then okay, is she experiencing any of those six Ps? If she's not, then it's probably okay. Like it's, it's a very, like you said, it's, it's so complex. It is very complex no in doubt. how we no doubt. program and train. And that's why it just can't be black and white. And and maybe it, it even goes down to like, okay, she was able to do that last week, but she doesn't feel like doing it today. It doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think there's value in that too. Like, it just doesn't feel good on my body. I, I'm not experiencing any of the six Ps, but it just doesn't feel good. Okay, then don't do it. Like, sure. we can find 
can we find something that hits the same stimulus in another way? Sure. Well, Ashton, obviously there is a lot to learn about this topic. <laughs> so if listeners want to follow you to learn more because you are doing a lot of education, you do an absolutely amazing job with that stuff. Where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram. Uh, that's probably where I hang out the most. My, what's it, username or handle, whatever they call handle. it. Yeah. Handle, the email, yeah. yes. It is resilience um, at mama.fitness. Um, it's where you could find me there. I'm also out on the web, uh, resilientmamafitness.com. And then I am out on Facebook. And that is the same handle as the Instagram. So whatever Facebook, the first part, but resilient.mama.fitness is where you can find me on Facebook as well. And yeah, I do. I'm very passionate about educating. I don't do a whole lot of training anymore. Like I do one-on-one training with, with people, but I want to extend my reach. So that is where I feel like education workshops really come into play as far as giving moms this information, trainers, this information and helping to spread that messaging. Cause like I said, it all went back to my why and I did not know these things. There is no way the regular mom walking into the gym knows these things. And that's just where those, you know, big discrepancies in the spectrum are still in existence. So it's really trying to, coaches like myself are trying to find this, like, no, we can continue doing this, but we need to change how we're doing this because moms want to be active. And I think that's great. And, you know, I support all moms who want to do fitness. All moms are considered athletes as far as like, that's a big thing with Brianna Battles, but just supporting that aspect of, you know, training for the the lifespan, not just for pregnancy. Absolutely. Do you, do you offer any online training or do any online consultations or anything like that? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So like I have an ongoing like fitness membership. That's not for pregnant moms. I don't suggest anyone be at that, but I do one-on-one remote coaching. And I always tell people like you be in it for as long as you want. So if you want to do remote coaching with myself, so that would be end of like individualized programming. We would meet like bi-weekly for about 30 to 45 minutes going over training concepts, new movements, whatever questions you have via Zoom. And then I kind of base your programming off of that. But if you are just want to get through your pregnancy, okay, we can do remote training for your pregnancy. If you are a postpartum mom and you are just wanting to get back to what you're doing before, okay, we can do remote training for that short period of time. Or if you want to do it for a long period of time, that's that's fine too. And then the other thing that I do is um, be like a virtual consultation. So let's say you just want to know, like, here's here's my program. And like, you come to me and you say, okay, this is what I'm doing. Like, maybe I'm a CrossFit athlete or this is the program that I'm following. What can I do to make alterations to pregnancy? And we can talk about, we can talk about breath. We can talk about your posture. What are your tendencies? We can take a look at how you breathe. And we can, you know, talk about the different core and, and breath strategies and go through, go through that. So, or you're coming to me and you're experiencing leaking. Okay. Let, let's take a look at when is yeah. it happening? How do you stand? So really try and break those things down with different options as far as like, you know, are you experiencing symptoms? Okay, we can we can take a look at that. Or if you want more help as far, because I know everyone doesn't want my programming. That's like, no, no hurt in that. I think, you know, you have to find like, when you're looking for, you know, this is kind of speaking more as a client, like yeah. you got to find somebody that supports you. Like yeah. their style yeah. of training. And I think you know that if you're, if their style of training, you know, doesn't fit you, then there's some other coach, you know, that can meet, you know, like fitness is fitness. Like there's only so many ways that you can program, but you're really, does that coach meet your particular style? How they present it to you. 
and what's great about like what you're doing, what Brianna is doing is now there's a network of people who can help with this stuff. And you know, if yeah. you're not right for somebody or whatever, you, you probably know somebody else who is. And Oh yeah. I just, that's awesome. yeah, I totally just did that the other day. Like I have a postpartum mom that I'm working with and you know, she likes to ride her Peloton and it's like, well, I know some things about biking, but I've never learned about it in terms of the core and pelvic floor. So I could reach out to another coach and that's what I did. And I was like, Hey, can you just give me the rundown of what I need to look for? Like she's wanting to return to her bike and you know, we can do that. I had another mom, she's experiencing leaking while running. Okay. I know things about running, but there's a lot of other coaches that that's their specialty. And I sent her, you know, she's got an academy that she's running and I sent her information. So like we can help you get to, you know, if it's not me, that's fine. Or if you're looking for an in-person coach, okay, like I can re- look out into my network of coaches and be like, who's in this area sure. that would be willing to serve this this client and support yes. And So that's another really neat part about Brianna's, you know, network of coaching that she's created in her, the PPN course. Absolutely. Well, Ashton, again, this has been awesome. I want to thank you so much for your time. And of course, all the places you can find Ashton will be in the show notes. And Ashton, thanks so much. Thank you, Corey. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again. And I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.